Welcome to the Young and Sober podcast, the podcast where we discuss what it means to get sober under the age of 30 and stay sober. If you're sober, sober curious, or just curious, you've come to the right place. Any discussions heard here today are the opinions of the individuals and should not be taken as the stance of AA as a whole. Welcome to episode 14. This week we will be chatting to Jack, who's come to talk to us about getting young and sober in a global pandemic. How are you doing, Jack? Thanks, Alex. I am good today, thank you. Um, yeah, bank holiday Sunday, and I'm <laughs> sober at 9am, so that's <laughs> that's a good start, I think. Yeah, that's definitely a win. Definitely. Um, so before we start our chat, we have a question there from a listener. Milo says, I got sober on Zoom and I haven't been to any in-person meetings yet. What is different about in-person meetings? Christian, do you want to start that one? Yeah, so that's a really good question, Milo. And, uh, you know, I really admire anyone that has kind of come into recovery and only known Zoom. Um I think, first of all, it's testament to AA as a fellowship, you know, that they realise how important meetings are for people recovering from alcoholism and addiction. We need that connection. And Zoom was just a lifesaver, you know, in that regard. You know, and we were still able to, to hear the message of recovery, to hear people's experience, strength and hope, um, to have that kind of fellowship and chat to people and I today you know having come into recovery sort of three and a half years ago I actually came in pre-zoom so I was quite familiar with in-person meetings and was you know nervous about going on to zoom but the funny thing is is that I've kind of adapted and most of the meetings now today I go to are on zoom um, partly because of convenience, partly because it allows me to actually get onto meetings, you know, with people that I, you know, already know that don't necessarily live where I live, which is pretty cool. Um, however, um, I, I also do really value the in-person meeting and I think it's because of just you know human like being around other humans we are just like programmed to to be that way we're social creatures um and i think certainly after having experienced zoom for the past year i've definitely kind of felt sometimes a little bit fatigued people talked about this new term zoom fatigue because it can be quite you know it requires a different level of concentration uh, i think it's easier to get distracted as well whereas in an in-person meeting it's like you're there for the meeting if you're like you're not going to be walking around making your lunch whilst you're you know <laughs> on a meet on a meeting you're you're there and if you were doing something like that in a meeting people would probably get slightly annoyed um, <laughs> um so i think it's cool that you know I'm, I'm glad that the meetings are kind of starting to open back up again um, and I've, I've def, I, I do three a week. I do two Zoom, one in person, and that kind of meets my personal needs. But I think it's very personal to the individual. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I um, was also really nervous about going on to Zoom because I also got sober before before the Zoom times, um, but also have completely adapted. And I, I think the convenience of it has been amazing for me. Um, mostly because there aren't very many young persons meetings that close to where I live. Um, so being able to log into online young persons meetings has been amazing. Um, and also I got sober in a different part of London to the part of London that I live in now. Um, and can, like with my work hours and stuff, it's difficult for me to get there in time for the meeting so what I've been able to do is been able to go to some of the meetings that helped me get sober in my early days on zoom and see all my friends from from then which is really really lovely um I've only been to one in-person meeting since last March um mm. which some people I think completely understand and some people who I tell are like what like what have you been doing 
Um, but the truth is I'm an introvert. I really like being in my space. I really like being feeling safe in my space. Um, I'm somebody who, when I'm on a Zoom meeting, I tend to really commit to being in the meeting. So I'm not somebody who'll be like making my dinner or mm. you know, as much as I can, I try not to be distracted by my dog, but that's not always particularly easy. But I try very hard to like be really like in the meeting. Um, but the meeting that I went to, somebody asked me to do a chair and then later told me that it was in person. And I was really nervous. I was really nervous about being with people in person. Um, but it turned out there were like six people there that I knew and it was really, really, really nice. Mm. Um, and I think like you said, the connection, I think because I have kind of acclimatized to Zoom, Zoom does feel like connection. But when I went to that in-person meeting, I was like, oh my God, this is like connection on steroids. Like this is so much more real and so much more like tangible. It just feels it feels more connected and I feel more a part of something. And that's not to say when I'm on Zoom, I don't feel a part of something, but just the in-person meeting definitely gave me an, an extra boost of connection. Um, mm. And just lastly, I'll touch on the, the kind of service element. So I think on Zoom, when I, like I'll put my number out to newcomers on the chat or I'll mention that like I'm available to talk to newcomers or whatever. But I think people are more reluctant maybe to, to reach out. Whereas at the in-person meeting that I went to when I did the chair, loads of people came up to me afterwards and was like, oh, can I take your number? Um, or like came to talk to me in person afterwards just to like talk about what I'd, what I'd shared. Um, and I think that for me was a reminder of the fact that it's not just about, you know, saying your piece and then leaving, especially as someone who's got a bit of time. Um, it is about helping the newcomer and supporting the newcomer and I just found that that element was more real in person maybe than I found it to be on zoom um but Jack you you are a, a zoom baby why don't you tell us about are you nervous about going back to in-person meetings yeah I um my first in-person meeting actually I, I just wasn't ready at the time and it was quite a heavy chair with some other bits about you know suicide and or potential um attempted suicide and things and I think at that point um I got a bit scared off to be honest and and that's and then ended up taking another nine months to come in and then in the you know I think zoom there's like less of a back I was so nervous about <laughs> turning up um that actually just turning up to my first zoom meeting and like I think I had my camera off for the first 10 minutes and just like listening it's like it's a bit less intimidating and then um I think it's been great for establishing relationships because like there's it's easy to yeah I, I think you know people don't come up and talk to you necessarily but if you want to you can you know take numbers and call people but then I think actually building those relationships now I'm like nearly eight months in and um you know there's I think there's only so many times you can you can bring people you know once a week and see how they're getting on but I think like Christian said it's um the the natural kind of interaction um and then building on those relationships I think is um you realize there's an important part of your long-term sobriety um so I think you know there's there's enough people there virtually that you can speak to and you know share experience of going through early sobriety with but I think when you're thinking about staying sort of the longer term um the fellowship and you know human interaction side I can imagine is a lot more important I'm certainly feeling that now in terms of um you know trying to build on I guess some of the relationships that I've established on zoom um and you know building those in real person in in real life I think it, obviously the easiest way to do that is through meetings um and some you know fellowship outside of meetings but um so you know now I feel like I am a bit nervous to go <laughs> and you know speak and, and meet real people but I think um it's probably I, I can understand why it's going to be really good for my longer term sobriety to to do that yeah totally there's um there's a couple of things there that you guys touched on I think 
one is that actually <clears throat> it's not just alcoholics that are slightly nervous about social interaction i think it's kind of like a lot of people have expressed like this nervousness around being around people <laughs> because we spent so long not physically being around around people and you know i work in a gym and it's a lot of people around you know and it's a bit like in a way it's a little bit like over overwhelming is probably a bit of a strong word but it's it's a bit like whoa there's loads of people <laughs> um and like anything new or anything that you're sort of you haven't been used to for a while and getting back used to it just it takes a bit of time um so i think it's very i think it's very natural that there's a bit of nervousness around that but the second thing is like what i there's a couple of things that I, I really admire about people that are in, in Zoom and things that I personally benefited from when we were in person. And there was, it was two things. One was the fellowship. Um, you know, Jack and I are part of the same kind of collective of meetings, the Vauxhall guys, and they're very like proactive, you know, each month they'll do like a monthly fellowship outing and stuff, you know? Um, it's a really good opportunity to hang out um whether that's going for some food or like in the park and stuff and that's just not really well until kind of recently that's not been an option um and secondly i i you know in my early days i found it very useful to speak to my sponsor like after the meeting in fact i <laughs> probably when he wanted to go home i'd probably be like you know chewing his ear off really I remember like, I've actually genuinely remember like it was really like raining hard and the, you know, the church had been locked up and I was just talking to him and it was like this elephant in the room. It's like, we're both getting absolutely soaking. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not letting you leave. I'm not letting you leave. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I kind of feel for, for Jack and, and other people that haven't necessarily got that kind of opportunity to kind of I don't know, talk to people more mm. before and after the meetings you know yeah a hundred percent um so we'll get into that a little bit more but Jack do you just want to give us a bit of background about you said you've been eight months sober but if you could just give us a bit of a, a kind of context for what brought you into sobriety sure um so I'm 30 um I have been trying to stop drinking, you know, on and off for, I guess, two to three years with kind of months here and there. And, um, you know, AA, I thought at the time was kind of the end of the world. Um, and, and you know, that I'd turn up and it's kind of what held me from, I didn't know anyone in AA. So it's kind of the, the apprehension about what it would be like was the main thing that's, you know the fear of, of what it would be like would, and what it meant for me was kind of what held me back from turning up um and then yeah I guess as um as we're talking about the pandemic you know I start of last year did I actually made a bet with my boss that the first person to drink in the year would have to pay the other one five thousand pounds and um I think that looking back now is quite an alcoholic way of trying to stop, <laughs> of trying to stop drinking. And then um, he had a baby in like May or June, June, I think. And, um, and he texted me being like, I've had a glass of champagne to, to celebrate. And I'd, you know, nearly done six months. So I was like, right, well, things are opening up again. This is mid 2020. Um, and uh and then I basically got smashed for two months and um, crawled into AA, um, having kind of maxed out my credit cards at the time. And um, I think the what was what made me realise was the when I hadn't drunk without AA for six months, um, and then kind of went back out and it had just accelerated since the time before, um, you know, and every time was 
like 5am or like, you know, lost my phone, lost money, whatever, whatever it was like, it just really accelerated. And um, uh, yeah, so kind of crawled through the doors of AA after my, I'd been to counselling and he'd been kind of suggesting I, um, I go, I might like <laughs> AA meetings, but um, I wasn't kind of having any of that. And I'd rather pay him 70 pounds a week to tell me to go to, to AA. And then when I finally, um, when I finally had no other option, I, uh, yeah, I turned up on Zoom um, and I was ready for it at that time. I got a sponsor in my first meeting or a temporary sponsor as, as it was called then in my first meeting. Um, I, and, and yes, I guess since then, um, have, have what they call, you know, the pink cloud for the first couple, for the first month, just a realization that AA, you know, and the 12 steps was the solution that I've been looking for for so long. And, um, and that, you know, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows at the start and it, it's been up and down, but, uh, but like actually just knowing that I found a solution that can, you know, um, mean that you can live a you know happy and kind of sober life without worrying about it is uh it was just massive for me and so yeah eight months later um still sober um still haven't been to a physical meeting since um you know since I since I got sober with the 12 steps and um that's not to say that I don't want to or or, or won't um I think as you said Alex like the convenience part is is great and um yeah, I mean, it's got me really what gets you sober is, the, you know, a sponsor and doing what they say and the 12 steps. And, and you know, that could be done through real life, through Zoom, on the phone, you know, even I'm sure by letter. It's, uh, it's very, um, it's a very clear kind of black and white, you know, process that you have to follow. And, um, you know, I've definitely done that and a lot of other people have done it. Um, without you know I've met my sponsor I think three times now um in, in eight months so you know it's, it's definitely possible and um, it's obviously a different experience but I don't have anything else to compare it to so um yeah here, here I am I think that's amazing I think the thing that came up for me when you were talking about um you know doing the steps and only having seen your sponsor three times and in person and all of that kind of stuff is just first of all accountability um, and second of all willingness like I think the thing that really really blows my mind about people like you who've managed to get sober on zoom is that I think for me seeing my sponsor in meetings every week in my early days like I couldn't avoid her even if I wanted to do you know what I mean like she was gonna be there she knew where I was gonna be she knew what meetings I went to and she was there so even if I like had been hiding from her suddenly she'd be there whereas I think for the you zoom babies it's it's almost like you have to you have to be almost more willing and more accountable because you have to you know pick up the phone and you have to not only answer the phone to your sponsor but you have to call your sponsor or message your sponsor or whatever and I think that that really really speaks to your your willingness and your acceptance of, of this illness you know and the desire to get well and the yeah I, I just, I think it's amazing. I really, really do. I think it's incredible. Um, I was wondering, the process of asking your sponsor to be your sponsor, how did that go for you on Zoom? Because I know for me, my sponsor was literally sat behind me in a meeting. I heard her share. I asked for her number. And then two weeks later, I asked her to go for coffee and then asked her if she would be my sponsor. But obviously on Zoom, it's, it would have been a little bit different. How was it for you? Yeah, I think... Um looking back like I you see a lot of people come in and float around for a couple of weeks and you know there wasn't my experience my experience was turning up like on my knees like give me as much help as, as uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh like, give me everything <laughs> and um and so I was on zoom um at the meeting which I the first meeting I went to on zoom um they have a sponsorship coordinator um which i believe is the same alternative you know they have the alternative in physical meetings as well but 
basically that's someone who has a list of people who are available to sponsor um they will chat to you um for you know 10 minutes after the meeting about your situation and you know about what temporary sponsorship looks like um and then if you want to try that then they will find your temporary sponsor um in my case it was the sponsorship coordinator who um became my temporary sponsor and um yeah that was just a 10 minute chat after the meeting where i put my i basically they ask around and i either put my zoom hand up or um just sent a message or said i can't remember or said yes please put me in a breakout room and then yeah you just got 10 minutes to chat with that person one-on-one -on -one, which is obviously less intimidating than doing it in front of 20 other people um and yeah that was that and then kind of started some daily suggestions from the day after that um and yeah that was my experience i think um there's a lot of people who I think it's good to go to meeting some most meetings have a sponsorship coordinator it's good to talk to that person um about your options obviously there's a lot of people available to sponsor um and I I think I got lucky with my sponsor because I just took it in the I took the first thing that came in the first meeting um but there's certainly other people's experience where they've you know tried a few different sponsors or not necessarily had the best relationship with their sponsors so um it is worth kind of talking to the sponsorship coordinator at each meeting, but also, you know, I think I got lucky with, with my experience, but I think speaking to a few people, maybe before you make a hundred percent, that decision um, is maybe not the worst thing in, in the world. Cause I know other people who have had different experiences and it's not to say that there's, you know, like everyone sponsors in their own way and some, some people that works for, and some people it, it doesn't, um, but there's certainly a lot of good sponsors out there, but I think just, taking a bit of time and speaking to a few people before you make that decision because it can be a bit of a commitment um is yeah maybe a good plan but it's um it was quite straightforward really for for me and i think yeah most zoom meetings as um there is a lot of people to sponsor i think the one thing that happened with the pandemic is it kind of came in waves because people's personal situations i think sometimes changed quite quickly at the start and beginning of lockdowns um but from what I've heard, like there's, well, from my experience and what I've heard, there's not, there wasn't a kind of consistent flow of new people coming in through the lockdown or throughout the lockdown. It was more like when lockdown happened, loads came in. And then when lockdown opened up again, you know, loads came in. So um, I think from a sponsorship perspective, um, there's been, yeah, kind of waves of, of people, but that's probably, I guess we'll get a bit more consistent now, um, but yeah. Yeah. Christian, as somebody who, like me, got sober without Zoom in person, what was the hardest thing for you, not just about Zoom, but about kind of sobriety and lockdown life? What did you struggle with? Mm. I think it was I think it was the isolation. Um, you know, because once you, you know, for me, I guess my line of sponsorship is, you know, you, you tend to get a couple of home groups which become your regular regular meetings. So naturally by going to those meetings regularly, like week in, week out, you get to know people and they sort of become your mates. Um, so when that element is kind of taken away, yeah, that was hard. Um, and it's only when you sort of look back in hindsight, you realise how difficult, like how that was. Um, so yeah, that would be number one, definitely the hardest thing. Yeah, me too, me too, definitely. I um, There are like four or five meetings that are within walking distance of where I live. Um, not now, they still haven't opened up, but um especially my Wednesday night one which is my home group which is literally two minutes from my front door um is in a very small inside space so that was gone immediately um and I really 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 missed that and that was a meditation meeting and I definitely you know they suggest to meditate every day and that's something that I 
definitely do not do and something that I struggle to do. But I had that Wednesday night meeting, seven o'clock on a Wednesday night, that I would always go to and I would know that I would get a 10 minute meditation there every week, even if I didn't manage to meditate for the rest of the week. Um, and so when that was gone, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to find a way to meditate because that's literally the only thing that keeps me accountable for my meditation. Um, and yeah, the people there, because I, so I moved to Tooting just under maybe like six or seven months before the lockdown started. Um, so I didn't really have like a solid, solid fellowship here. Like I'd made kind of connections to people, but most of the people that I was really, really close to in recovery were in, were in Fulham. Um, and so I did suddenly get, I think, I mean, a lot of people, not just people in recovery, but I got this sudden rush of, of loneliness and I live by myself. So I really had to kind of go out of my way to pick up the phone and call people um, to try and stay connected and to kind of, you know, go for walks with people when I could. And um, yeah, like I, one of my meetings, my other home group, which is a Thursday evening um, in Wimbledon, they set up like a fellowship coffee morning on Monday mornings. Um, so we do that still every Monday on Zoom, um, coffee on a Monday morning, which is lovely. So like, I kind of get to like chat to them and then see them on Zoom on a Thursday evening. But yeah, the isolation, the isolation was really, really difficult. And I think also, again, probably similar to a lot of people, because I wasn't doing as much of anything outside of my home, I just spent so much more time in my head. And that's dangerous. That is a dangerous place for me to be. It's just like spending a little bit of time in my head is okay. But being forced to spend all my time <laughs> in my head, um, is definitely not ideal. So that's been a real, it's been a real challenge. I mean, I feel like I've, I've managed to navigate it okay, especially with, you know, Zoom meetings and my sponsor and my friends, and I also have therapy, um, and thank God for my dog. But yeah, I think the same as you, isolation's definitely been one of the biggest challenges. What about you, Jack? What's been the most challenging for you? Yeah, I think, to be honest, you know, obviously I was more isolated when lockdown happened, but in my head, I probably wasn't any more isolated than I was before I, you know, when I was drinking, because like, even though I was meeting people and doing a few social, I was, my drinking at the end was kind of walking out of work and going to the pub with work people and then, also, and then avoiding birthdays, like weddings, didn't drink at home because I just knew it was going to end you know badly so it was more it was more drinking when I almost didn't have the willpower just to <laughs> to not after you know being tired on a Wednesday or Thursday night after work um so in a way I was isolated um anyway when I came in so I don't think I felt more it definitely I definitely realized how isolated I was like mentally um when I came in and I was probably more physically isolated, but actually I joined more WhatsApp groups in the first two weeks of like sobriety, not first two weeks, but first two months of sobriety than, you know, I've been in the last three years and there was a lot of people calling me um, to, you know, some, some most days. And um, even though I didn't yet have, wasn't seeing people every day, like there was a connections forming which I guess stopped the isolation but I did but then on the flip side you know the most challenging thing was probably the isolation so like in between me I ended up going to loads of meetings on zoom in the first I didn't do 1990 but I probably did 90 meetings in 90 days but I'd do like three some days and then not for a couple of days and then realize like actually <laughs> um and then you know all a bit all or nothing but um yeah I, I think the great thing about the zoom is that there was was always a meeting to go to and I was quite isolated physically and where I was staying at the time um but you know there was I ended up in meetings in Las Vegas and 
recommend them by the way um and uh yeah like australia and stuff so there's a lot but yeah the challenge the most challenging thing for me was realizing how my head was when i was sober um and i didn't have that realization before and just realizing that i couldn't go three or four days without kind of losing it or like going a bit mental was a big realization for me and so dealing with that whilst I was isolated and the realization of like how how unmanageable my head was was a big um was a big challenge um so yeah I think that's that was the biggest just dealing with that almost they call it emotional rock bottom I, I guess but um <laughs> the few, few big realizations you have along the way about what you've been doing what your life's been like and you know how mm. almost obliv oblivious you've been to the whole thing <laughs> do you find that you went through I found I went through um almost like a grieving process of sorts if I was to put a label to it um and you've been sober for a significant amount of time and all of a sudden it's like wow I've really been I think for me it was like I've wasted so much time <laughs> um and then that kind of falls more towards you know falls more towards compassion towards myself and you know ultimately realizing that actually it wasn't my fault not that I you know diminish any responsibility for my actions as a result or anything like that just more being someone that is an alcoholic or some of you know that all or nothing you know that nature that we have you know we didn't have that self-awareness so when all of a sudden you're sort of presented with all the information um it's really refreshing on the one hand but also it's a bit like uh <laughs> stark kind of black and white like oh and when you don't know it's like if you didn't know about something like, it's almost like if you're in a relationship with somebody and you didn't know that for the past however many years they've been having an affair with somebody and then all of a sudden it's hitting you and you're like oh <laughs> you know um you know it's take alcohol and drugs took away so much of our of our livelihood and we thought it was giving us so much like thrills it was there for us when we were happy it was there for us when we were sad it was there for us through um yeah different things and uh and then we realized oh actually it was the root cause of all of my problems and it was fun for about five minutes actually and, and the rest of it certainly towards the end I can't speak for anyone else but it was just pretty sad lonely um, put, put, took up, you know, made me spend a lot of money, debt, you know, harm to others, self-harm. Would you say it was kind of like a grieving process for you, Jack, like in that sort of sense or? Yeah. Um, and it, like, I think the, the lowest low I had was kind of six months in. Um, and yeah, there's like weeks of someone described it as like thawing out. And um mm. and I think I like to I like that term because it's like it's does it's it's not linear, you have like massive ups and downs and they kind of over time get smaller and smaller ups and downs, which is in the end, you know, how you how you stay kind of emotionally sober. But yeah, it was it was a grieving process as, as you describe it. I think it, in the end, like now, I genuinely feel grateful that, you know, we're on a young and sober podcast. Like you see people going to AA, you know, calling in in, the six, in their late 50s and 60s. And I think, you know, in the end, you have to be grateful that, I know it was your experience, Christian, as well as mine, that, you know, drugs probably accelerated our entry into to mm -hmm. AA. Um, and you know i'm grateful that i made it in before my you know i look back on my 20s and i 
think I wasted a lot of time, but I also look at my thirties and and now realize that I have, you know, a lot of opportunity to do what I want with my, with my life and, um, you know, be, be happy. I think one thing with lockdown <laughs> is because it's isolated and you're in your own head, you can feel like time is slowed down and you also like realize when you get sober you want to do all these things and you know like getting like I'm, I'm annoyed about my debt situation I'm like right now I need to now I'm eight months sober I need to buy a house and all this stuff and it's like actually you know if it takes you a year to sort yourself out you still got your whole life life ahead of you um but yeah there's definitely a it's just a realization phase of like how unself-aware you'd been and how self-aware you trick yourself I tricked myself that I thought I'd <laughs> I thought I was um before um but that, I've definitely definitely that's turned into gratitude now and um you know I've met amazing people in AA and I can see the life ahead of me that it um that it uh you know that you can have by following this program and um now I'm just grateful to be here and you know looking forward not too quickly uh creating a, a different future than I than I could have before yeah amazing um another thing you both mentioned was you know you mentioned at the very beginning Christian was how AA kind of like just came together during during the pandemic and and you know went on to zoom and how they just realized that it was something that was totally necessary and Jack you mentioned whatsapp groups and I also was put into a load of WhatsApp groups at the beginning of recovery. And one thing that was really, really amazing was that there was a group who I still, so they still do a 1 p.m. meeting every single day of the week and they've been doing it the whole way through lockdown. Um, and a few of us started a WhatsApp group where we did a daily check-in every morning. And we did that for the first year, which was amazing. So every single morning we would say, hi, I'm Alex, I'm an alcoholic today I'm feeling this, this is my affirmation for the day and this is my goal for the day. Um, and that was an absolute game changer for me, especially when I was really struggling. And then at the end of the day, we would all post our gratitude lists on there as well. Um, and I mean, I already send my gratitude list or used to send it to my sponsor. I don't, I don't do it every day now, but sometimes I do. Um, but having that reminder to check in with myself, check in how I was feeling set myself a manageable goal for the day, have a kind of sobriety affirmation for the day. I mean, a lot of the time it was just for today or, you know, if I do the steps, if I do the work, I stay sober or connection is the opposite of isolation or whatever it may be. Um, and yeah, just, just to be reminded that those practices, those little practices and staying accountable to other people um, are, what, are what make the real difference. And I think having that, at a time where you know we're all we were isolated and to a degree we still are and um just a way to to kind of keep accountable keep checking in with yourself um and then just lastly you talked about going to like three or four meetings a day I know that there have been certain points you know you talked about it not being linear where over the last year and a half I've really really been struggling and the thing that's amazing about zoom like there are 24 hour marathon meetings. So at like three o'clock in the morning, if I wasn't sleeping, I could wake up and log on to a 24 hour marathon meeting and be in a meeting when I was <clears throat> struggling with insomnia. And, you know, there's meetings all over the world. So if I am feeling really, really horrendous and really struggling with being in my own head, I just log on, I log on to a meeting and I can do that any time of day. Um, which, yeah, I found to be really, really amazing. Were there any kind of practices that either of you kind of accelerated I guess because of because of lockdown I mean processes to be honest I don't think my <laughs> my program didn't change really um although actually no that's not true I did I did try it was I did try like doing something else but to be honest it had nothing to do with lockdown. It was me just trying to overcomplicate it, which, um, you know, pretty classic. It's like trying to change the tried and tested, like that sort of thing. Um, 
but I do, you know, like Jack mentioned, like I think having, and you mentioned actually, Alex, it's like having goals. And um, I thought, I think it was particularly important in, in lockdown to, you know, have things to work towards. I, I just enjoy that, um, to have something like to focus on or like two or three things to focus on. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I'm doing. And it gives me, especially when, you know, I guess for me, at least sort of structure kind of disappeared in a way. I had to, I had to, I, had, I was forced to create my own structure. Um, so I found it useful to create little goals for myself. So, you know, business goals or fitness goals or financial goals um not to you know chastise myself if I didn't hit them but just to have something like something there I just find that quite useful um I, th I think it's actually important to talk about goals generally in recovery as well because it was it was suggested to me in my first year because you know obviously life up to the point of coming into AA life hasn't exactly been great and and chances are there's quite a lot of wreckage <laughs> as a result um but you know alcoholics and it talks about it in the big book like when things have gone tits up the first thing they go to it's like i've got to sort out the material i've got to sort out my i need to get my standing back in society like whether you know it's in work or i need to get money first you know and then I'll think about my recovery um but what I think is a really good suggestion what was suggested to me was in my first year was put everything else if you can no I don't think anyone really ever does this but it is actually really good advice it's like put everything on hold your your goal is getting like staying sober like one day at a time for your first year because that in itself is a huge achievement. I think the one year, the one year chip for me is like, I think that's that's the proudest I've, I've ever been in terms of my own recovery. And then, you know, once you've worked the steps, absolutely have goals, you know? And the beautiful thing is, I think it's like, after you've done the steps, after you've done a year, you're, you're kind of, quite a bit more in line with who you actually are. You're a bit more kind of self-aware, you've cleared away all the crap which no longer serves you. And then you're actually setting goals which are authentically you. Before I got into recovery, I was, I was always like <clears throat> comparing myself to others and setting my goals against other people, you know, and, and lo and behold, feeling pretty unsatisfied, <laughs> you know, and didn't feel a lot when I, when I hit those goals. So to be able to, you know, set goals now, which have meaning to me personally, um, is a gift that I've, I've received as a result of trying to keep things simple in, in recovery. And when I say not to change anything, I mean, you know, not getting into a relationship, not moving, not, you know, changing your place of work. Um, not getting out of relationship. <laughs> not unless, out. unless it's really crucial, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously I came in single. I know that's some people's experience. They're in a relationship and I can't really speak for people in that situation, but I know that that's sometimes been a challenge as well. And But yeah, um, I do think it's, it's good advice because at least when you know a year down the line you're actually in a sort of much more stable place and and you're probably in a better place to make those kind of decisions mm. um which almost sounds patronizing but it it it, it kind of I, I don't know i think it's i think it's true to, yeah. to a large i extent. think it's also it's much more sustainable isn't it because I think, you know, in my experience, like you said, I, I was completely lost because I had no idea who I was because I'd been relying on alcohol for so long. And the, the kind of flash decisions 
that I made in my early days. To be honest, I didn't make many. I'll be honest with you. I did. I did stick to the suggestions quite well, but um, I feel like because my recovery came first, when things did happen, like I ended up going back to university and I ended up moving house, but all of that came after my first year. I think if I tried to do those things in my early sobriety, in my first year especially, I'm not sure they would have stuck because I don't think I would have been ready for them. Whereas making those decisions and achieving those goals later on, because I had that foundation of, you know, the steps and having a sponsor and having a bit of, of sober time, it just meant that those things were much more likely to last. Um, how's, that, how's that kind of stuff been for you in your, in your first eight months, Jack? Yeah, I think I quickly came, so I quickly came to realisation that um, I had to put my sobriety first. You know, I was trying to get my business through, the startup business through, uh, the, you know, lockdown, the furlough, furlough scheme. Um, it's a recruitment business, so obviously no one was hiring for a considerable period of time. And, uh, you know, in my head, that was everything I needed to do in that year. And... My sponsor quickly reminded me, <laughs> uh, not reminded me, suggested that uh, if I continued to do that, I wouldn't likely find, you know, good sobriety. And um, I realised that when actually I'd taken, I'd taken a week out, I was like, right, I'm getting out of here. Um, I'm, and I went to Cornwall in the first, I think it was no, the second week of being in, a, in AA. Um, and there was one day where there was waves and um, at like lunchtime and I'm calling my sponsor every day at 12 and I said to him you know do you mind if I give you a call at 5 5 p.m <laughs> and he said uh, no, no you need to call me at, you need to call me at 12 um, and that was a realization that I needed to um, put sobriety first and you know I thought I could skip in and out with one meeting uh, you know one meeting a week and ended up doing four or five but I think you know the the the, the thing is there's everything in um you know you can be busy in your life and you can uh, everyone's got their stuff going on outside of AA but like the reality is the people who stay sober are the ones that you know do put it first and I thought about relationships and business stuff and living situations um and actually, you know, it gets suggested for you not to do anything in, it gets suggested for you not to do anything in early sobriety as alcoholics. And, and certainly with me, you know, I was testing those boundaries. I was looking at business stuff. I was like, you know, started chatting to a couple of people, like, and look at, you know, talk, thinking about things with my money. And actually what's, what, I, what the 12 steps in AA gave me is, I only got so far in that thinking, like I would go and plan stuff, <laughs> but then during the planning phase, I'd actually have the realization that that's not going to be maybe what I want long-term. So I think it's suggested that you don't do any of those things. You'll probably think about doing them and probably like <laughs> start doing them. But then it's the, what you realize way earlier is that it's not good. It's not going to make you happier. It's not going to keep you sober. Um, and, you know, they've just fallen away. Whereas before I would have, tried to follow through to the nth degree and um and you know failed or like it taken over my life so I think what AA has given me is a self-awareness to cap those thoughts and put them on the back burner or whatever until um and and make my own decision to not do any of those things that aren't suggested rather than someone else telling me to not do anything and <laughs> sit at home and and uh have a boring life for the first year because like in the end it's you know once you've got your sobriety you can go and do all those things um and but for me I, I needed to realize that myself I think mm. yeah testing the boundaries is definitely real we don't like to be told what to do do we <laughs> even if it's called a suggestion we don't like suggestions as alcoholics I like what you said there though Jack the time investment like it is it's almost like an investment isn't it it's like what is a year really do you know what I mean like as a young person, if you put a year, like a year in where you treat AA like a job, you know, 
you, you do what's suggested, treat it like a job, get, you know, get enthusiastic, get stuck in, you know, and then you're actually, what you realize is you've got a design for living that you're like mastering for a year that you can then go out into the world and conquer whatever it is you want to conquer, you know, and that's the way, that's the way I see it. Yeah, 100%. All right, pals, let's wrap up. What is something that you're grateful for today, Jack? I am, well, to keep on point of our conversation, um, I'm playing golf this afternoon with three other alcoholics. And um, that's something I I wouldn't be able to do in, certainly something I didn't plan on doing when I first walked into the first AA meeting and certainly wouldn't have been able to do on Zoom. So I'm grateful (laughs) for fellow in-person fellowship and um you know as I kind of said at the start just building on some of the relationships that I have established on Zoom and you know being able to to now do that um doing something which I enjoy and um you know spending my weekends in a in a much more productive and nice way. Amazing. Christian? Nice man. Um Oh, grateful today for opportunities to, I feel like everything I'm doing at the moment is just very much kind of in alignment with who I am and what I want to do. And that's all thanks to, that's definitely all thanks to AA and recovery. Um, And yeah, just putting AA first, I'm grateful for really. Yeah. Amazing. I am grateful for, I've got a week off now and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I'm going to get absolutely tons of meetings in, which I'm really excited about. Um, And I'm going to be able to see some of my recovery friends as well, which is really nice. Um, And yeah, just kind of fill my cup a little bit more this week, which I'm really, really looking forward to. So, yeah. Um, Thank you, Jack, so much and listeners for joining us. We will be back next week with a speaker and a chat. Please do like and subscribe. If you have any questions or feedback about what you've heard today, we would love to hear from you. Send us a message on Instagram at youngandsoberpodcast or email us at youngandsober at outlook.com. That is it for another episode. We are young and sober. Bye. Bye. Thank you.